lots and lots of spoilers. Here, O oh noble listeners, the tale of the rise of the kingdom of Pixar. Pixar. Yes, here's the story of a little animation company which was started by an unknown named Mark Lasseter, owned by um, some two-bit operation called Lucasfilm? John Lasseter. No, no, I'm pretty sure it was Mark. Um, John. Well, it's Mark now. <laughs> you hear that, Lasseter? Your first name is Mark. <laughs> You know why. Then <laughs> It was later bought and owned for almost 20 years by the mighty Steve Jobs himself before being absorbed into the unstoppable Disney Collective. <laughs> Resistance was, in fact, useless. Still is. Welcome to our new series, Pixar Picks. Inspired by seeing the first Toy Story movie back in our 90s series, Mike and I have decided to go through the Pixar catalog, not the whole thing, don't worry, Looking at the greatest and the not-so-greatest-est <laughs> of their work. This week, we're actually going back to the 90s that we left so long ago <laughs> last week. In the dust. Well, admittedly, it's the very end of the 90s. It's 1999's Toy Story 2, The Wrath of Major Matt Mason. Oh, <laughs> What year was it? 1999. Ah, the moon! <laughs> uh, actually, the... Toy Story 2, The Wrath of Major Matt Mason was the title of my spec script, which, uh, just so you know, Disney, it's still available. I'm just saying. I thought that was Earth versus Shoe. Wasn't that your... <laughs> Something, yeah, that was the other one. Uh, that one. That one's still being workshopped. Oh, that's I, a deeper. I am one of your hosts, Max Johnny West Levine, and over there, trying to find his helmet, is G.I. Mike Loose with Kung Fu grip and lifelike hair. <laughs> Yeah, you should see my lifelike hair. There's an awful lot of it. <laughs> my wild mane! <laughs> That's right, Mike is going to be joining a hair metal band now. The show. So yes, Toy Story 2. <laughs> this was supposed to be the direct-to-video sequel. Really? Which, yeah, this was not oh. supposed to get a theatrical release. But somebody Uh-oh. said, hey, you know... The first one made a couple of bucks, you know, which was, in other words, about $400 million. Maybe we give this one a try. And they rewrote it, and uh, they actually had to change. The the plot was different. We'll get to that. But Oh, okay, cool. We now have trivia. We just did. Well, now there's more. (laughs) Oh. Now this, but the budget. Wait, wait, before you do trivia. Oh, yes, there's bidness. Yes. Yes, if you want. All of our podcasts in all their stunning glory uh 4k dolby atmos <laughs> cuckoo for cocoa puffs you don't want my atmos good, if uh, if good, you know what i mean <laughs> good and plenty flavored i don't know uh you can find at our website maxmikemovies.com you can also find us on uh, your favorite podcast apps because your favorite podcast apps are the google podcast app and the <laughs> apple podcast app those are the ones you're allowed to have as favorites or you can find us on spotify we're also on the Mediocrely Social uh, on uh, Twitter and the Facebooks at Max Mike Movies. And uh, please feel free to email us at us at MaxMikeMovies.com with your know, crit- critiques, comments, suggestions. And uh, if you do look at it, if you do see us on uh, one of your uh, podcasting type things, uh, give us a little rating, won't you? Five stars! Five! <laughs> 
Fine. <laughs> yes, please. My, Mike's been eating his own hair. He really he needs better ratings. It's not very tasty. <laughs> no, it would be nice if yeah. you can. That's great. Um, also, uh, real quick, just to let you know about those comments, they do sometimes lead to uh, either single shows or even series. In fact, the next series, I'm not going to tell you what it is, <laughs> did come from a listener yes, as a did. suggestion. So you two can suggest. And now I suggest that Max get on with the trivia since I interrupted him. Yes. <laughs> uh, this, The budget for this movie was $95 million, which was about three times the budget of Toy Story 1. The worldwide gross was almost $1 million. No, sorry, sorry. It was almost half a billion dollars, which okay. was about $100 million more than Toy Story 1. So, I just want to point out real quick as a comparison. Remember last week? No, was it last week's film? Yeah, Fargo mm. cost seven million. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Basically, so, it cost interesting. That would have cost as much as the first five minutes of this movie. <laughs> but still, uh, half a billion dollars. That's a, that's a nice, tidy little profit. <laughs> this is uh, one of only three Disney animated movies to win the Golden Globe for Best Picture. Ooh. The others being Beauty and the Beast and The Lion King. Mm. Uh, for the scene where Woody looks at the merchandise from Woody's Roundup, you know, the toys, yep. they made mock-ups of them and gave them to Tom Hanks in the recording booth. He'd never seen them before, so the reactions to the toys were just recorded. That's actually him reacting to them. <laughs> I thought that was That's very cute. cute. Oh, uh, yes, they- mock-ups, because, of course, they wouldn't try to sell those. Like, <clears throat> <clears throat> uh, there was a little bit of a... Uh, shall we say, debate about the song When She Loved Me, the Rachel McLaughlin song, and its place in the film. Musical genius Randy Newman Mm. objected. He expressed concern over whether or not kids would really want to sit through a three-minute ballad. Really? Yeah. Yeah, He's got a lot of nerve. He really does, where clearly they would want to sit through another three-minute Randy Newman song that sounded like all the other three-minute Randy Newman songs. You mean like Friend and Me, which gets played twice during this movie? (sighs) Yeah, because by God, he's going to get that Oscar nomination. (sighs) Uh, Both Tim Allen and Tom Hanks insisted the the song be in there, and they both admitted to crying during that scene. Hmm. There's a sequence where Ham, you know, the piggy bank, Played by Pixar regular John Ratzenberger, who is the only one who is in every single Pixar movie. Uh, he's flipping through the channels looking for Al's toy toy barn commercial. This is where we start getting. This movie is loaded with little Easter eggs and little yep. in jokes, most of which are physically impossible to see. Yeah, unless you sit there and go frame by frame, and even then, there are a couple you cannot see. I caught one. Well, you, you get to see, uh, they're all clips from shorts and commercials that Pixar had done through the years. You got Luxo Jr., Red's Dream, Tin Toy, and Knick Knack. Mm. There's also the logo for the next computer, which was, oh, of wow. course, de- yeah, which is devel- was developed by Steve Jobs, who was at that point Pixar's CEO. And there are a couple of uh, clips from Pixar toy com- television commercials they did, and a very quick shot. This is one of the things I don't think you can actually see with the human eye of Pixar's old logo. Ah. For those of you who I'm sure wonder about this, the dust 
on the shelf in the scene where Woody is hanging out with Wheezy the Penguin, it set a record for the number of particles animated for a movie by a computer. <laughs> wow! Yep, they were very proud of this. That's a selling point. Kids love dust particles. Oh yeah, by the way, Wheezy the Penguin is basically a compl- a, an exact duplicate of Tux the Penguin, which is the mascot for the Linux operating system. Oh. Which is what most of uh, the the uh, anim- the computers they used to, for the animation ran on. Hmm. And they didn't get into trouble for that. Weird. Mm. Are you kidding? They're, I'm sure all the guys are... Well, remember, Linux is open source, and I'm sure Linus Torvalds was sitting there going, Oh, look, they have put it in the movie. Ah, I am overcome with delight. Now it is over. <laughs> yeah. Scandinavians, not very effusive. You're wondering about that? Go watch Fargo. Um, <laughs> while the toys are driving around Al's toy toy barn, they drive down the Buzz Lightyear aisle, and yeah. tour guide Barbie tells them, back in 1995, short-sighted retailers did not order <laughs> enough dolls to meet demand. This is both an in-joke and a fact. When Toy Story was released, the original toy sellers didn't think the movie would be a hit, and they didn't order enough of the toys and I'm sure this will come as a shock. There were a lot of toys released in conjunction with Toy Story. There to were! With, yeah, to keep up with demand. The shelves were stripped bare. It was impossible to find them. The joke is also, and you got to give Mattel a little credit, they actually approved this joke, a little dig at Mattel, because Mattel said, oh, we don't want you to use Barbie in this movie because this movie is going to be a flop. Yeah. Yeah, that first one, not this one. No, exactly. This is Barbie. In this case, I'm sure it was Mattel going, um, could could we give you money to put Barbie in, please? We want to have Barbie in, please, Barbie. And she talks. When we're, This beach. is a little thing on the actual production of the film. There was a little bit of a problem. When working on the film, somebody entered the code RM Star, uh, which is, as anyone who works in Unix or Linux work knows is the command for delete everything on the computer as quickly as possible. This was on the main server storing the entire movie. Um. (laughs) Yeah. They lost 90% of the film. The animators, they tried to get the backup animation, but the backup failed. Uh. However, the supervising tech director, Galen Sussman, had recently had a child. And she had taken a copy of the movie files home so she could work from home. They took the extra copy, wrapped it in blankets, the hard drive, and drove it back to the studio and were able to get back almost all of the film. So in what would have been a firing offense. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Dear gods. Isn't that that just yikes? Yeah. Linux friends, the RM star command, which really would have had to been RM probably star dash uh r-f that's recursive and the sub and a force is unbelievably powerful it's one of the scary things about linux there you know how in virtually every other operating system if you do uh delete everything a del star dot star or shift delete or any of that the computer will say are you sure yeah linux just goes okay Well, I'm certainly, I feel better knowing that there's that feature out there, because... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good thing I don't use a computer that's based on... Oh, Oh, dear. dear. (laughs) The character of the cleaner, the one who comes and fixes Woody, Mm -hmm. 
uh, is Jerry, based on the Oscar-winning Pixar short Jerry's Game, which is of the old man playing chess with himself. Uh, Some of the chess pieces he played with are also in the drawers of his case. Physically, Jerry was based on the renowned makeup artist Stuart Freeborn, and I didn't know this until this viewing. Do you know who the voice of the cleaner is? Voice of the cleaner. He only has like two lines. I'm going to go with no for 200. (laughs) Yeah. That's Jonathan Harris, Dr. Smith from Lost in Space. (laughs) No, no, keep away. (laughs) That's him. Giant eyeball creature, William. To be fair, this isn't his first Pixar movie. He was in A Bug's Life. Oh, yeah, he was. He was the mantis. Yeah. Manto. With Pantis. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Mantis in my Pantis. Uh, sadly, Jim Varney, who does the voice of the Slinky Dog, he died three months after the film was released at the age of 50 due to oh. lung cancer from smoking. Mm. That's why Varney was uh, replaced by the stand up comedian and a good friend of his, Blake Clark, in the third movie. Ah. Oh, when, uh, when Al of Al's Toy Barn hangs up, is on the phone with the Japanese investor. He says, don't touch my mustache. Yeah. This refers to, this is an English mnemonic for the Japanese phrase, which means you're welcome, which is do itemashite. Do itemashite. Thank you. Which we knew, Mike and I knew from Rosalind Russell in A Majority <laughs> of One. Yeah. Oh, that's a deeper, eh? That's, that's a deeper. A, yeah. Which is, if you can ignore the really painfully racist casting of Alec Guinness <laughs> as a Japanese businessman. Never mind Rosalind Russell as an old Jewish lady. <laughs> hey, she pulled off the old Jewish lady better than he pulled off the, the Japanese businessman. This is Jacoby. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it, that's... It, yeah. If you could ignore that, it's a fun movie, but that's a lot to ignore. Yeah. A, a lot of I mean, people... It, I mean, it's no Jimmy or what's his name the, the, the from... Oh, uh, Mickey Breakfast, Rooney. Mickey Rooney from Breakfast at <laughs> oh. Tiffany. Ah! I'd rather yeah. watch like uh, Mickey Bugs Bunny nips the nips, or yeah. honestly, that's yeah. even less racist than Mickey Rooney. But it, it uh, really kind of is. Uh, A lot on. of people thought that the Woody's roundup sequence when he wa- when they're watching the old black and white TV show was actually done with puppets. It isn't. It's all CG. They just took the same CG models. They made little changes to make them look like puppets. Then they animated the puppet versions of the characters in a CG black and white set. Hmm. Uh, this then they use a technique called the kinescope effect, which adds scratches, hairs, and basically makes the uh, print look old. Mm. Yeah, we spent decades and decades uh, perfecting techniques to get rid of such things, only to bring software in that can put them back there. Yeah, I've never understood this on like Instagram filters or or yeah. any of the any of those photo filters. I want to make my photos look terrible. Okay, click. I want him to look like it was done by a Polaroid Landex camera of 60 years ago. <laughs> and then left out in the sun for three weeks. <laughs> Click here. Uh, when uh, the second Buzz, Buzz Lightyear, arrests the first Buzz Lightyear, he says he's in direct violation of code 6404.5, stating all space rangers are to be in hypersleep until awakened by authorized personnel. Code 6404.5 is actually part of California state law, but it bans smoking in public places see (laughs) what do you mean see i don't know (laughs) uh the original story for the they had a different story for the direct-to-video sequel it was close uh the woody's roundup toys that woody meets at al's apartment did have bullseye but bullseye could talk 
the prospector who didn't have a name, he wasn't Stinky Pete, and Senorita Cactus, a uh-huh. Mexican dancer doll. And the idea was that the prospector and Senorita Cactus were snobby collector's item characters who treated Woody like he was a second-class citizen because he had actually been played with. Uh, the huh. ending of the film featured a car chase with Woody, Buzz, and the rest of Andy's toys stealing Al's car, trying to escape, and Al chasing them in a Pizza Planet truck, you know, which is the other way around in the right. actual movie. Uh, when uh, the production of the sequel was returned to Pixar, Lasseter and the other Pixar animators reworked the whole story, adding Jesse the cowgirl and expanding certain sequences to give it more heart and more humor. And more toys. And more toys. Although the introduction of Jesse largely came about because of Lasseter's wife, Nancy, who wanted the film to feature a positive female character with a bit more substance than Bo Peep. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Bo Peep is fine, but she doesn't do very much. Well, for all three of her lines, she's great. (laughs) Yeah. Jesse, by the way, was honored, the character was honored with the Patsy Montana Entertainer Award from the National Cowgirl Museum and Hall of Fame. Well, what? Another piece of trivia, there is a National Cowgirl Museum and Hall of Fame. Ah, well, I can't wait to go. Yeah, the uh, voice of tour guide Barbie, that's Jody Benson, who is best known probably as the voice of Ariel from Disney's The Little Mermaid. Oh, she didn't even sing. Hmm. Nope. And of course, one of the there are a lot of in-jokes and hidden jokes, but when they're at the airport... You know, about to go chasing the luggage. There's an announcement. Lasset Air Flight A113 now arriving from Port <sighs> Richmond at Game 3. You know, Lasset Air, we can get that. Flight A113 is a reference to cl- the classroom at Cal Arts uh, A113. And Point Richmond is Point Richmond, uh, California, where the Pixar studio was located before moving to Emeryville. Ah. Yeah. There's a ton of other stuff, but it would take the rest of the show to go through it all. Ah. 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 So, the plot. Sip. (laughs) (laughs) I have to edit that out, you know. Yes, you do. (laughs) Following the events of Toy Story 1, Woody and Buzz have formed a firm friendship, with Buzz fully integrated into Andy's toy society. Things seem fine. Or are they? Dun, dun, dun. When a series of events triggered by Andy's accidental damaging of Woody's arm leads to Woody accidentally becoming part of a yard sale, which is the toy's greatest fear, That's <gasps> where, where he is stolen by the greedy Al, owner of a toy store and a fanatical toy collector. Uh, he's a fanatical toy collector. He doesn't own a fanatical toy collector, <laughs> at least not that we see. In a box Woody's friends set out, set out to rescue him while at Al's apartment, Woody makes a surprising and potentially life-changing discovery. He is actually a valuable collector's item, part of Woody's roundup gang from what we assume is the 50s, along with Jesse the yodeling cowgirl, the horse bullseye, and prospector Stinky Pete. (laughs) Al plans to restore Woody to pristine condition and sell the now-complete set of toys to a Japanese toy museum, something the rest of the roundup gang has been waiting for for years. Woody is then faced with a profound dilemma. Does he return to Andy, his kid, to a life that he knows, but he now knows that that life will likely end up with his being discarded? 
Or does he spend eternity in a glass case, untouched by anyone, but being admired and adored by countless people? Many hijinks ensue as Woody's friends must face a second Buzz Lightyear, an incredibly perky and cheerful Barbie doll, and Emperor Zerg himself in their quest to rescue their friend. That it? That it. The lowdown. Good. That was a nice little pause point for me to edit. Uh, yeah, so one of the things about, uh, I wondered about this film, I don't know if this popped up in your, your research, but you talked about how the, the Easter eggs were now basically definitely a thing. Mm. Uh, the other thing I wondered is if, is this the first one where they did the little outtakes at the end? No, they did those in Bugs Life. Oh, okay. I, I yeah. only saw Bugs Life one, so I don't yeah. remember. Um, uh, they certainly, uh, allow you to ignore the credits, don't they? <laughs> Yeah, they really do. But I I love the outtakes. I think they are hilarious. But I'm also glad they stopped doing them because mm. they were starting to get a little too expected and kind of predictable. But also, it's like you're... I, I'm willing to bet there were literally alternate takes for the outtakes because you're trying to be spontaneously <laughs> mistaken. Yes. And I don't know. It felt a little forced, but that's fine. I, I agree, too, that it was a nice thing, but I'm glad they're gone. Yeah. Um, hey, how about that opening? Kablam! Boom! Yeah, I, I like the fake out. I mean, it's like, <laughs> like whoa, wait, do you think, have I walked into the wrong movie? And I actually thought that I watched it on Disney Plus, and it's like, well, it could be connected to the wrong file, I guess. But <laughs> no, yeah, it's okay. Now we're doing a little, um, and I liked, it's fun. It feels very much like a kid wrote it, which is the idea. You know, and now we're going to have this, and then we get to meet Zerg. We also get a bunch of Star Wars sound effects, and I couldn't help but think, hmm, is this foreshadowing? Because <laughs> Disney's eventually going to buy yeah, That's right. We do get to the lightsaber sound and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, Darth Vader's breathing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's fun. And we meet Zerg. And Well, actually, let's get to Zerg now. I love Zerg. He's later I in did. the film, when he shows up. He's hilarious. He is. And I remember looking at him. At, this was in 1999, and I'm still going, I want that toy. <laughs> I want a Zerg. I didn't want any of the other toys. I wanted a Zerg. I thought he was awesome. I thought he just the look and the ridiculous, the ridiculous cannon, which apparently has virtually infinite ammunition. But did you notice it also has a setting? Yes, it goes to 11. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> and they, to be fair, they did something that you really shouldn't do. And they, they tied the humor of the film to another piece of pop culture. In this case, they do the whole Empire Strikes Back Darth Vader is my father thing. Um, yeah, but, the but way it worked. They, the, but the way that, well, initially, it's exactly the same, basically, because, yeah. you know, he gets knocked off the elevator or whatever. But and we then, even get Buzz going, <laughs> no! Then the way they wrap it up with, it's like he's playing catch with it's Zerg. So oh, I'm going to stay here with my new dad. It's like That's <laughs> so sweet, though. I love that. It's like, good, th good throw there, Buzzy. That's my boy. You're a great dad. It's like, wow, that went in a wholly unexpected direction. I also just love the fact that Zerg is that that whole fresh out of the box toy earnest in his part. Like I am the emperor of the universe yep. and he's shooting puff balls. And yep. it's just like that contra oh, I will take you down, Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> and it's like <laughs> Yeah, he's firing what are effectively nerf pellets. Yeah. So Zerg Zerg was like one of my favorite characters in the film. But and and you know, we we do get to see him and it's actually cool because it expands the whole Buzz Lightyear. We know that Buzz had a show. We saw that in the first film, but now we get to see a little bit more and Zerg comes comes out and, and does Zerg things. Um, and it's fun seeing Buzz with the other Buzz. 
Yeah, I, I enjoy that he when it when you know another Buzz basically comes out of the box, but this Buzz still thinks he's a toy. Yeah, and Buzz is now in the Woody role in effect, and I just like was I really this stupid? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'll the get you with my laser beam, the <laughs> one that's a light bulb. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah, it was it's fun. That is fun. Um, we soon get, though, we get uh, one of the problems I do have with this film is, is oh. right after the opening where they do the whole Buzz Lightyear saving people in space thing, uh, we get Buster the Dog. And Buster the Dog is definitely a step up in visual quality from the last film, but he's still kind of rough. Yeah. <laughs> get, get it? He's rough. Yeah. Ha ha. Thank you. Uh, we'll let you know. <laughs> Thank you. Uh and then, of course, Andy comes in and it's like, oh, yeah, humans, they're still a problem. They still have trouble with humans, but my God, the animation in this movie is like an order of magnitude better than the first one. One of my notes was that some of the character movements are so good, uh, especially um, Buzz. He like he's yes. going from pose to pose and like snapping and also just buzzes resourcefulness. Like it's like, oh, we can't get across this chasm. I know I'll do this, 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 and this. I mean, he's MacGyvering his way through stuff and it's great. Yeah. But but especially the characters in that that Woody's roundup, like you were saying, I mean, I knew it was CG, but they captured that marionette, soft marionette movement so well. Yes, um, it was and, It was uncanny. It looked exactly like those super, ma- or not the super marionation, but the mari- <laughs> the puppet show, yeah, not Thunderbirds, because... Thunderbirds are slow. slow. But yeah, it was so, it looked like a 50s puppet show. It was perfect. And the voices. Yeah. yeah. That was the other thing about the voices. I love the fact that on the TV show, the prospector sounds like you expect someone who's basically doing Walter Brennan or you know Andy Devine or someone. Yeah, pull my finger. And and yet the actual character is voiced by Kelsey Grammer <laughs> with this beautiful erudite, elegant baritone. Yeah. it's so incongruous with the look, and it works perfectly. Ooh, sorry. Well, guess that's why they call me Stinky Pete. <laughs> Really, Woody, is that what you want out of life? <laughs> wow, what? Well, and that's and, how he works. Because if he had just been, hey, well, Woody, you should stay with us and hang out. It's like there's no contrast there. Yeah, so. And also, he wouldn't be, it'd be much harder to take him seriously. Whereas the prospector is a really creepy character. The second time you see this movie, you realize, I mean, I think this was the first, I think, of the Pixar twist villains. The one mm-hmm. you don't expect to be the bad guy. Okay. And it if you watch it again, he's so manipulative. Right. And so canny. It's really kind of scary how he plays with Woody. Even just little things like oh, you know, okay, that's fine. You can leave, but you ought to say good make things right with Jesse. Go say goodbye to her cuz he knows Jesse will tell him of her story and plant the seeds in Woody's mind. Of that great tragedy, and that's one of the big themes in this show. What happens to a toy when the child grows up? All right, let's go there, because that yep, is one of my notes. let's go there. So, toys, all toys, according to the, the Toy Story franchise, all toys are doomed. <laughs> <laughs> well, we actually know. We see in the third movie that isn't true. They can end up in places like uh, the preschool, where they'll be played with by, for generations, by well, child after by children after chi- child after child. 
Well, I think it's safe to say that they'll be drooled upon well, they and will be torn apart. Interacted with. <laughs> but according and let's not even go to Toy Story Three, because that hasn't happened yet, right? Uh-huh. We've we're only at two. Yeah. Um and I had two things that I wanted to point out. This one point uh, is that Stinky Pete kinda makes sense. Cause he's like, look, we have a very short lifespan. We get a few years. The kid doesn't like us anymore. We end up under the bed, just like in the most depressing moment in that movie, uh, that song for Jesse, which is the, like, ah! That was so the like, first Pixar movie, the fi- first moment in Pixar that the movie made me cry. I'll say it. I cried in the theater, and I still tear up when I hear I, that song. And it's so well done, and it's not just because Sarah McLaughlin just knows how to shove something into your heart and wiggle it around until you scream. Usually, it's puppies. But the animation, and just the the way Jesse looks at Emily so adoringly, and when you know she's like as they're in the seatbelt next to her, and Jesse just you can tell she feels so safe. And it's that line: "When somebody loves you, everything is beautiful." I called it the guilt song because, <laughs> seriously, like now kids are going to go home and it's like I can never stop loving that toy. It's staring at me because um, we all had toys that you know we loved stuffed animals and stuff. Then we just oh, lost sure. interest in them because that's what you're supposed to do. Um, and in that way, I think you know Stinky Pete does have a point. It's like uh, we don't apparently. Okay, all right, this is also going to tie into one of my other points. When did when did toys become sentient? When the box is open, <laughs> is the soul something that's part of the manufacturing process? I don't know, but like basically, this is a, toys this is doomed. a kids movie. You don't really have to look into the science or the theology of it too much. Uh, say that next week. I dare you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, yeah, just say. Yeah. So I know, I know, but I still these are things because these are not kids movies. These are family movies, so they true, are meant for true. adults and kids. But they are basically telling you, yeah. So we make these inanimate objects so that they can experience love, only to lose it and never lose consciousness ever <laughs> until till Toy Story three when we get to see the giant furnace which i know doesn't hasn't happened yet or if you really want to be depressed about inanimate objects watch the brave little toaster because oh, you're going to need therapy for that one yeah yeah <laughs> that's, that's also even... a disney movie but it's but that's the theme of that is a really interesting thing that come, that uh, this the prospector brings up and that it's one of the central things of the of the uh the movie what is more important is it uh, his argument is we have a short lifespan. Wouldn't you rather be in a glass case, stared at and adored by generations of children? But on the other hand, you don't get loved. You're safe. You're protected. You're distant. But when you have a child, when the child plays with you, yeah, you get damaged and you get ignored and neglected. But you're loved. And accord- the uh, ethos in this in these movies is that's what's important to a toy. That's what makes them happy. And we see that, again, I, jumping again to the third movie, that what they all they want is to be played with. And to just be... It might be safer, and they might live longer if they are treated like collectibles, but will they be happy? And the implication here is no. It is better to have loved and lost than better to be loved at all. There's a reason people say that. Well, I actually was just quoting, believe it or not, a pull string giant doll from a monkey's episode. (laughs) (laughs) 
Anyway. Okay. <laughs> do you think, now that you've brought that up, very yeah. interesting points, by the way. Uh, one from Max. Uh, <laughs> mark it on the scorecard, would you, Bumpy? Uh, Thanks. Um, would you say that this might be a way that the writers of this film were trying to introduce topics like being safe versus taking risks and possibly even thoughts of death to children? I don't know, thoughts of death, because this is not the movie where we see the potential destruction of them. To, no. Of toys that no that, that comes yes, later. Yes, folks, it gets worse if you yeah. haven't seen Toy Story three. You thought you were felt guilty this time around. Well, oh, <laughs> God, <laughs> again, team it but up with the, the brave little toaster. And I don't think mm. it's so much about death, but I do think they're introducing the idea of what happens when you grow up, when you get older. Which, of course, if you follow that to its logical conclusion, does of course end in death. But I don't think that's what they're trying to trying to shove in people's faces but they're showing yeah nothing stays the same yeah. things change the children will grow up and your relationship with them will change again suggesting the theme that relationships change over time yeah and the difficulty with the toys is toys don't really well actually physically they don't grow they don't change but we know they do change as people as as beings because we see that oh. with woody in Woody's this movie, we do. We don't know this for real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> and, <laughs> my toys are staring at me. <laughs> your your toys are judging you. Um, because Woody's character changes pretty drastically from the first movie to this movie. Yes, he's, we like him a lot better. In he's this a movie. lot more likable. He's also a lot less self centered. He yeah. when Wheezy is is going out to the yard sale, Woody doesn't even hesitate. He puts himself in harm's way to save his friend. Yeah, and one of the reasons he he wants to stay with the Roundup Gang, yeah, part of it is <laughs> I, I'm famous and I get to be immortal, but he wants to make Jesse happy. Yeah, and the thing is, think about it. He is suddenly confronted with the fact that he's worshipped. That's a shrine he gets to see. He's like a, you know, a, a god. That's pretty yeah. heady stuff. That's hard. To re that's a real temptation. That's hard to resist. I'm the god. I'm, I'm the, the god. god. It also brings up, I thought, you know, not quite as serious a thing, but think about the people who buy toys. Yeah. The, the people who like, like, no, don't you, I cannot take it out of the original packaging or it will lose all of its value. Yeah, or let's the, talk about, hmm? let, well, let's pause there. Let's talk about Al, shall we? Mm. Okay. So Al, I'm going to say a lot of us have met an Al. Yeah. Oh I yeah, mean, the, com the comic book guy, like you just brought up, is is it's not exactly Al because he's a comic book guy, but th that attitude. Um, for those who don't know, and this actually does tie into Stinky Pete too. The whole toys as collectibles thing is not the way that it's done. Is still like it's still fairly recent. Like I'm talking '90s. Now, I'm not saying people didn't collect toys. The thing is, is that the toy market was not aware of this, or at least they were not aware of how they could capitalize on it. You don't think they were with the Star Wars toys in the 80s? Not the same way, no. Okay. And the reason okay. I say that is because it turns out what would happen is when a toy company would make a set of toys, let's say Star Wars is a great example. So uh, past the first set, because the first set was was this whole other thing, and I'm not going to go into that. But let's say it's it's Empire Strikes Back. Okay. And we're going we're gonna to release, I don't know, 40 action figures. Okay? Now... 
they're doing 40 action figures because they do want people to collect them all. The collect them all thing, that's that's been around forever. I'm not going to d- debate mm-hmm. that. Yeah. But what the toy companies would do, unbeknownst to the general public, because why would they care, is that if you've got a box of 40 action figures and your top figures are Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, uh, Darth Vader, the <laughs> robots, maybe uh, Lando Calrissian, whatever. Sure. To fill out that 40, you got to have to have the Professor and Marianne, right? You've got to have Xanthar the Destructible or whatever, or these third-tier robots that people don't remember that well, but oh, I want all of them. Well, you don't make the same number of those as you make of the Luke Skywalkers, right? So if you've got in a, in a case of these figures, which are supposed to have all 40, you have maybe five Luke Skywalkers, five Darth Vaders, five Princess Leias. And then when you get down towards the Professor and Marianne, you might have one, right? Because they know... Th- <laughs> like you got one IG-88 or something. Well done. <laughs> or <Okay>. Bosk. Nerd! <laughs> so because the toy company is like, there's no point in making five per box of, of IG-88 because kids aren't going to be that interested. We're just going to get the one kid who's the completest, and that's right. fine. So what would happen is the people who would work the toy shows started to figure this out. So what they would do is they would go to the toy store. They would make friends with the shopkeeper or the, the stock boy or stock girl or whatever. And they say, Hey, before you put those out on the shelf, can I go through there and pick some out? And they'd be like, sure. Or apparently there were also occasionally bribes involved, but whatever. And so what happened is, that IG, that single IG-88 character would never make it to the toy shelf. The only way you'd find it was at the comic book show. Ah, and so this, increase, this cr- increased the scarcity and increased the value. That's correct. So you would never be able to buy, as a regular mm. average person, an IG-88 figure for less than two or three times its original price. Because it was suddenly, they understood how the mechanics of this happened. And Stinky Pete is one of those characters. Stinky Pete is IG-88. Basically, the kids in the 50s didn't really want Stinky Pete because <laughs> Stinky Pete, right? Like, yeah, more yeah. likely than not, there were tons and tons of Woody sold. That's like the number one. You probably got, you know, if the girls watched the show, they might buy Cowgirl Jessie. She was definitely the second. The horse... And they probably bought the horse. Well, we're going to get to the horse because I want to talk about the horse. But Stinky Pete... He even talks about it. He's like, I'm mitten box because no one ever wanted me. I watch all the yeah, other he- toys sell. And it's like, I want the <laughs> old man character. Oh, no. <laughs> so all of this is now in the 90s is now a thing. And it does feed into this. And that's where Al comes from. Al is one of these people. And he's a store owner, so he can pick them out himself. Um, but Al is one of these people. And they make this amazingly heavy-handed statement in the film, where uh, Buzz says, you're not a collector's item, you're a child's toy. Which is actually a nice little callback to the first movie. Because right. that's what uh, Woody says to Buzz when he's trying to convince him that he's not a, a spaceman. But the part that, that kind of didn't ring true for me is, I guarantee you, in the giant box of Woody toys that comes to Toys R Us, or used to, <laughs> um, there were five, uh, five Woodies and five Buzzes and three Jessies, and one horse, and one Stinky Pete, because they that's the way it works. So, yes and no. But. Yeah, but it's the idea, because the, the representation of this movie, Al is very clearly the bad guy. I mean, he steals Woody straight up. Right. And uh, 
he even the building he lives in. Yeah, you remember the sign out front? Yeah, no, no. children allowed. I'm not even sure it's legal. <laughs> it isn't. <laughs> Pity. I mean, really? Yeah. Wow, that's no the fair housing laws. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's he's and he's a very specific kind of villain, right? Um, and when I first heard his voice, it's like, oh, it's Newman. <laughs> yep. There's Wayne Knight. And I ha- I have to hope that Wayne Knight himself is actually a really nice guy, because I kind of feel bad for him. He's about as typecast as he can get. Well, he does, one- he does one thing, but he does it really well. He's incredibly good at being the guy you just want to punch. Yeah, a lot. The man has a very punchable voice. I mean, he is the comic store guy, right? I mean, yeah. not, not really. Like, he doesn't do the voice, but... No, that's yeah. Al is basically the comic store guy. Yeah, and again, he's also we we see he's rude. I mean, he parks across three handicapped spots. Yeah, he has no consideration for other people. He clearly lives alone. Although he's also clearly very successful. He's living in a penthouse. He right. owns. He he's right across the street from the uh, the store he owns, which appears to be pretty successful. Yep. Although he does have to dress up in a chicken suit for his commercials. I don't know why. I Because everything's for a buck, buck, buck. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Which I bet it isn't. <laughs> do you think... Well, it is at the end of the film. Uh, do yeah. you... So do you think he makes a good villain? I think in this movie, I think he makes a really good villain. The one thing because I... Because will- he's not evil. He's not evil. He's just greedy. Well, and he doesn't really think he's doing anything bad. He steals a toy from a kid. That's he steals evil. a toy from a yard sale. That, but the, she told him that it's a family toy. And true, it's, and it's true. Her, so he kind of... And one thing I will give him is he doesn't actually take the money out of the box. That no, that, I, that would, I always expected him to take the whole box, which would have been faster. But uh, He would have been Dickensian at that point. Yeah, um, yeah. Mr. Snuffleflup or whatever. You know, one of those weird <laughs> Dickensian names. Um, <laughs> the one thing I will say that was kind of unnecessary is they really play off the fact that he's overweight and they decide that he's also a slob when he eats. And it's like, okay, I mean, I, I get it. And I'm not saying that this kind of person doesn't exist, but... Sometimes these are cliches because they're real. Yeah, I just kind of wondered. It's like, do we need this too? Because he's <laughs> already I already hate him. I, I don't need the Cheeto dust, but whatever. Um, I, I agree. I think he does make a great villain. And he is the main villain. Um, and I think it's pretty clear from the opening of this film that there's not going to be any redemption for al no al is no neither al nor stinky pete has much chance of redemption i do kind of like that stinky pete's ultimate fate is his greatest nightmare yes just to be gi- given to a child who modifies toys he's an artist <laughs> uh, you know but, but you know if if you look at the artwork on the doll's face she's emily or uh not emily whatever was her the girl the little girl yeah is actually pretty talented. <laughs> well, the Pixar artist, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, and the thing with Stinky Pete is I actually get where he's coming from. Sure. He was manufactured into that position. It's like, well, how can we make a toy that no one will want? I know an old fat man in a that is called Stinky Pete. Ah, children will hate it here in the box. Like, and again, you, it's true. You do understand his position he has he's never been played with. He's never been taken out of the box. He's never had an emotional connection. Right. But he want he wants something. He just doesn't want to be left in a closet his whole life or stuck in Al's badly lit apartment alone <laughs> yeah. with these other toys. No, you can understand it and he's been and think about the timing. Obviously these toys are from 50 years ago. 
Or at least he is. I'd say 40 at this point, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. And he's been waiting 40 years. Of course he's going to go a little crazy. He's been in a box for 40, <laughs> or 40 years. Let's see. The box, Pete, right. the box. The, exactly. <laughs> and by the way, that, that thing he points out, he says when Sputnik showed up yeah. and uh, the space race started, Everyone, nobody wanted to play with cowboy toys anymore. They all wanted space toys. That is absolutely what happened to the toy market. Yes. Because Westerns were huge then. Yes and, and no. And they went away. Because Sputnik, I think, was 55. And they were, to, were yeah. and even in late the late 50s, early 60s, we still had Daniel Boone and all that stuff, the coonskin yeah. cap. Um, but you'd also had a lot more like uh, army toys and stuff. Those were starting to uh, peter out because we didn't have a good war to sell toys for kids. Yeah. Ugh. But now you had a whole lot of like flying saucers and ray guns and yep. all sorts of stuff. Major Matt Mason. <laughs> yep. Major uh, Matt Mason. The Zeroids. Uh, anyway. Uh, yeah. And I, it's like, I actually, as somebody who grew up long after the fifties, but still grew up with that kind of toy. I, I totally get uh, stinky Pete. Um, and I wouldn't have bought them either. <laughs> but I will also <laughs> no, say, though, they don't touch on it at all. This is not in the film. But because he's actually going to that little girl's house, there is the tiniest chance that Stinky Pete will come around. Maybe. That is true. Maybe once he gets a, a taste of uh, affection and he gets played with, maybe he'll like it. Except he's kind of set in his ways honestly that's kind of an interesting narrative thread we never get to see yeah to me the one with the the strongest narrative and the real character arc is jesse mm -hmm. i mean she's just heartbreaking because she is in some ways so upbeat and so positive and she's so happy when she thinks they're finally going to get out and go to the museum and it just destroys her when woody says he's going to leave and then we hear her backstory one thing I was interested in, in that whole flashback slash song, we never see Emily's face. You know, the little girl. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? We, we see Andy. It's not like they don't show, it's not like it's a standard trope in this movie not to show the humans. We see the humans. Well, Why don't we see Emily? You know, interestingly, we see the humans. They're pretty much all guys. Like we. Well, what about Andy's mom? Very briefly. And his little sister from above and looking down on the back of her head. I honestly wonder if it wasn't partially a case where they couldn't make an attractive human that didn't look weird. Because Andy oh. still looks pretty weird. I don't know. So I'm you just think, guessing. You think it was just a limitation of the animation tech, huh? Maybe. And I, here, here's I thought it was... Well, here's the thing for me that's weird, is that the characters, the toys, are all great. It's just yeah. they decided there needed to be a contrast and they needed something that looked more realistic. And I'm not going to say it was realistic, but more realistic. And it doesn't, for me, it doesn't work. Like, they're still like, those Those are some weird looking humans. I don't know what's going I on. I think that might be part of the theme. The idea that in these movies, the toys are the real people and the humans are the almost fantastic figures. Wait, are you saying when my toys stop loving me, I will... <clears throat> fall into a deep pit of despair yes that is exactly what i'm saying love me love me <laughs> <laughs> go play with your voltron now <laughs> don't you diss my voltron <laughs> yeah i no, i i think some of that might have been intentional because they can they could do reasonable 
well, moderately reasonable humanoids, but I also think the reason we don't see Emily's face is because of the scale. Jesse wouldn't see her face that much. Oh, I think she would have seen it tons of times. I wonder if the idea wasn't that they were trying to show that over time she's forgotten what she's looked like, and that's part Um, of the guilt song. (laughs) Maybe. Or I also thought it might be that in this, Emily is supposed to represent all children. Yeah, it could be. It's yeah, like this this sure. is this is what happens with every child who grows up and outgrows their toys, <laughs> tosses aside the affection that's given to them freely. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. tosses aside the unconditional love. <laughs> that is, yeah. There is some really sad stuff going through these movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's this is that meta part that, in some cases you can't help but look at and go, but uh, wait a minute, what about, huh? And this <laughs> film, to be fair, I think you you feel the need to do it a lot less than you do in other films. But, because Max and I are old and cantankerous <laughs> and critique, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, uh, we do look yeah, at these get things. off my lawn. What? <laughs> my lawn. Um, I, I think we can look at it and also still look at the film as a film. But it is like, it's basically saying there is no such thing as an inanimate object. Everything has feelings. Um, and it's kind of weird. <laughs> well, except except there seem to be these strange rules, like the board games, they don't, but the Etch-A-Sketch does, and the roller skates aren't sentient. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't really understand the world building sometimes. Well, maybe they just don't speak roller skate, and that's why they don't know. The oh, roller skates all it. this time have been trying to communicate and nobody can hear them. <laughs> Don't you feel sad? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not a hunk of plastic, kids. It's love. Just so yep. you know. Yep. For four ninety five plus tax. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, the little throwaways, I like what, that they find the three little aliens from the uh, claw machine. <laughs> right. And <laughs> you have saved our lives. We are eternally grateful. Oh, we should adopt them. Daddy. <laughs> well, they are both cute and creepy at the same time. I wonder if Don Rickles had any kids. Oh, I think he did. You didn't do your homework sure. right, you hockey puck. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, and again, the voice work in the in these movies is so good. It is. And I mean, we talked about this. I don't generally like the idea of searching for um celebrities just to, to because I don't think it's necessary, but Everybody here does such a good job that it's fine. They really do. I mean, uh, Don Rickles is so perfect as, as Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> oh. I, I packed your angry eyes. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. This, Mrs. Potato and, and, and Jody Benson does a great job as Barbie. Yeah. And I, and I love Annie Potts, even though Bo Peep, as you say, I think has three lines, maybe four in this whole movie. Yeah. Her voice is so perfect for it because it's not that sugary, sweet voice you expect to come out. Annie Potts has this great sort of whiskey rasp to her voice. Yeah. Uh, and, and, of course, Tom Hanks and uh, and Tim Allen are just so great as Buzz and Woody. Yeah, they they, they are. And I, I, I agree that we like, I, I'm agreeing with myself, we like Woody more <laughs> than this film than we did last yeah. film. He's much more of the hero character and less of the nasty, I'm going to try and get rid of this guy character. 
Um, this film did have a huge hurdle, though, and that's the fact that it's coming off of a very successful out-of-nowhere film. Because like yeah. you pointed out last time, people didn't think Toy Story was going to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. And, and they didn't think this would be a big deal. That's why I was going to go to video. Yeah, which I, and this was that period, right? Lion King 2 and a half and stuff like that. Yeah, this was this was when you know, Disney didn't own Pixar yet. They didn't buy Pixar till 2006. But yes, that was the era of when Disney went straight to video sequels, roamed the earth freely. <laughs> and there were, what, three, two or three Cinderella sequels and like nine Lion Kings and I don't know how many Aladdins. And yeah, it was, Disney realized they could make a crap ton of money with bad animation, or shall we say worse animation, throwing away all the expensive voice actors and just shoving the stuff on the, onto uh, home video. Yeah. well, And did, did it ever work? Well, luckily they've stopped doing that whole sequel nonsense. We won't be saying, oh. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> right. Cause. Yeah, as we discussed, Pixar, we'll be talking about uh, the Toy Story movies for a while were unique among Pixar movies because they were the only ones that had sequels. Yeah. That changed. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to talk about yeah, that. Yeah. So. But yeah, it had a huge hero. I mean, there are plenty of examples. I would even go so far as to say as almost all examples of films that were not thought of as a series, but their first film was very successful and suddenly it's like, oh, we need more of this. In which case, the second film is like, oh... Uh, I think you know, Matrix is a perfectly exa- good example of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, especially because there was two of those made at the same time. Um, on the other side of the coin, I have not seen it, but I've been told a lot of people think that Godfather 2 is a superior film to the first one. I think one. you could... I don't know. It's certainly as good. You could. I could see some argument as to... Uh, as to it being superior, but it's it's a tough thing, and I'm and of yeah. course these people are also working with the fact that well technology's changed a bunch, and even if it hasn't, mm. we need to make it change because we're still they're still not at the level where I think that things are really popping as a visual medium, right? Because there's still like there's there's these very faint shadows on things. Um, we don't get a lot of any kind of effects like you're not going to see any smoke in here or fire expl- or explosions um, <laughs> which to be fair i don't know that we need any not really um, that's true the visually it's still it's they're still developing i mean they yeah. hadn't become what appears to be magic now yeah but the nice thing one of the things the reasons these movies work especially this one is the visuals are only part of it. The script is so good. The jokes are really funny. Yeah. It's so clever. And it's touching. And again, the voice performances are great. And the story is compelling. I do have to say there is one piece of really obvious plagiarism that annoyed me. Uh, I wonder if it's the same piece that I thought of, but go ahead. I, I bet it is. It's Stinky Pete when he yelled, when they're watching the puppet show and he sits down on the dynamite fuse and yells, Ah, my biscuits are burning. Yeah. That is Yosemite Sam's line out of Roger Rabbit, which was more than 10 years before. Yeah. Now, we could be nice and say it's an homage. But we're not French, so we won't. No. <laughs> um, real quick, because I know we're heading towards that point, I yeah. just want to bring up Bullseye. Um, mm. 
I love Bullseye. I actually think yeah. he works great not working. His pantomime is hilarious. And it's this thing. I know that the Pixar isn't owned by Disney yet, but Disney has this thing with horses. And I don't know what it is, but if you've got a strong horse character in a Disney film, it is going to steal the movie at some point. It just <laughs> is. Um, oh, wait. Okay, there's like Maximus and Rapunzel, and I guess Khan Tangled. in Mulan, but what else? Angus from Brave, whenever he's oh. there, it's like Angus is hilarious. Even the damn reindeer from Frozen, which is a film I don't like, they decide, oh, well, he's kind of big and do- oh, we'll just make him like a dog. Perfect. Well, you, you do know he's you do know the reindeer isn't a horse, right? I know, but I said they don't have a horse in, in Ah, okay. In, um Maximus is one of my favorite characters ever Maximus in a Disney is film. awesome. He really is. <laughs> and it's not because you have the same name. Um and he of doesn't talk, not. and he doesn't have to. To me, nope. it's whoever's doing that kind of character animation, and Bullseye works great. There's a scene where he's uh, he's sort of back up on his hind legs, and his saddle falls off, and he suddenly gets this wide-eyed, embarrassed expression. Holds <laughs> like his, he's hold, naked. Like he holds his hooves over his crotch, which has nothing, and just like sort of <laughs> sidles off the screen. It's just, it is hilarious. Bullseye is a, a great, great character. Yep. He doesn't need to be any more than he is. I don't need Bullseye backstory. I Just his movements. So if, if you, here, here's a casting thing. If you're trying to get into Hollywood and you want to make sure people remember you, get cast as a horse in a Disney film. <laughs> good, good advice there. You good like advice. Uh, speaking yeah. of good advice, do you have any yeah. other notes that you wanted to get to before we get to the uh, big surprise ending? <laughs> you know, the guilt no. song part two? <laughs> <laughs> nope, nope. I, uh, I, I think that... Uh, that was pretty much it, except for the fact that when they're crossing the road, really? Nobody notices the traffic cones are moving? <laughs> Nobody? <laughs> ever? Worst drivers, or drivers who pay the most attention I've ever seen, because yeah. everyone yeah, is like, I'm... <laughs> sure, I'll swerve into this parking lot. Ah! Yeah, yeah, I'll drive into another car rather than knock over a cheap plastic cone. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I just hope that, it didn't that was, give that kids was ideas, it. right? Yep, that was it. For Halloween, I want to be a traffic cone. No! (laughs) (laughs) Right, so we're getting to that point where Max and I decide whether this is one of the better Pixar films or not. The Roundup. Max! One of the better! (laughs) Sorry. I mean, that was pretty obvious. Yeah. Uh, I think this is one of, not just one of the best of the toy story movies it's one of the better pixar movies in general it's there is a lot of argument among toy story aficionados whether two or three is the pinnacle Mm -hmm. and i can kind of understand three is more impressive uh there's a lot more happening in it we think it's going to be over (laughs) we think that's the end and we're very satisfied with that we were (laughs) were and then they decide no four that's yeah. Again, I blame Disney for that more than I blame Pixar. Oh, it's hard to tell now. I mean, it's, yeah, is it yeah, really it is. different? We should actually talk about that at some. Maybe at the end of the series, we should talk. Is Pixar really that different from Disney anymore? We'll get to that. Yeah, but uh, I have to say that I love the feel of this one so much. It's just it's more intimate. It's really focused on the characters. Uh, I I think it's terrific. It's funny. It is touching. It's moving. Uh, it's for the time it was state of the art. It's it's still beautiful to look at. It's still it's not one of the ones like some of the others we'll talk about where you just go wow. But for the time, I remember just being stunned. Mm. So yeah, I think this is one not just one of the better ones. I think it's one of the best. What about you? 
Yeah, I'm going to agree. Uh, I mean, we sat there and nitpicked about the weird um, uh, sentience of toys and the <laughs> whole bizarre question that brings up and the guilt song and stuff. But having just seen Toy Story 1 again, which I had not in a long time, I'm going to mm-hmm. definitely give the nod to this one over that one. I think the story is tighter. Mm. Um, we don't have that weird moral ambiguity with the Sid character, which I'm still trying to figure out, especially because they don't break their own rule about moving when the kids can see them, because mm. it's a rule or not, I guess, a suggestion. I don't know. <laughs> um, it flows along. It's a nice time. It's an hour and a half. Um, the pacing's really good. I totally buy the Al character because, unfortunately, I've met him many times. Yeah, yeah. Um, I totally get Stinky Pete. I understand why he's doing what he does. It makes total sense. I only hope that when he gets those rainbows on his cheeks that he'll he'll, <laughs> he'll be a nicer guy. And, of course, we see, like, the nursery, right? So he ends, he's going to end up at that nursery. Maybe he did and he, I don't know, from Toy yeah. Story, was it three? Yeah, three. Yeah. Um, although there's some really freaky characters in that one. It's, yeah. It is a good story. And story, uh, hey, Hollywood, we've told you this and you're still not listening. We don't give a crap about the special effects. We don't give a crap about the stars. We care about the goddamn story. Yeah. You want a movie Gotta, that we're going to remember? That's how you do it. Give us a good narrative. Give us characters we care about. Yeah. Do I really care that the humans in this film still look kind of hinky? No. You know, I don't. Uh, yep, it doesn't I, take me out of the movie. No, not at all. Whereas last time it was like, oh, ah, you should pan back or you should zoom back on, <laughs> on Andy. That's yeah, that's too close. Um, it doesn't matter. We're, we're interested in the characters. We're interested in the story. We want to know what happens. I want to say when I first saw this, I didn't really expect what was going to happen. The whole the fact that they're bringing in toy collectors is like, wow, I <laughs> didn't see that coming. So, yeah, this is definitely one of the better. I'll even go out there with Max. I'll even say this is probably one of the better overall Pixar films. I think kids love it. I get it. Um, I see families loving this. I can see it's a film that you would see over and over again, which apparently the kids still do that, and not get tired mm-hmm. of it. But Yep. So, wh- now that we've seen the, the best, what are we seeing next week? Well, um, we're going to see another best film that. I'm trying you immensely <laughs> convincing. <laughs> I'm going to choose a film to be fair that I haven't seen. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm actually going to go on public opinion on this one. Uh, also, okay. admittedly, part of it was your opinion. <laughs> uh, this is actually an entire franchise that I have not seen. But and I've we- been told that one of the worst Pixar films out there is Cars 2. Ah. <laughs> so, yes. My old nemesis. <laughs> slowly i turn (laughs) so this is a film where there are no people or they all have tires take your hey don't be speciesist they're people (laughs) they're just no humans Um, as far as we can tell yeah boy are we gonna be talking about that um yeah so cars two not cars one we're gonna go for cars two um, because apparently it's it's way down there. Uh, we're going to see. Maybe maybe everyone's wrong. Maybe Max is misremembering or has mellowed possible. over time. Entirely possible. But uh, vroom, vroom, we're going to have big fun. Vroom, cargo boom, boom, yes. <laughs> This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.